When you look at a lot of hiring processes that have so many steps, many of them from the candidate's point of view, they look like they're set up to make you fail. Like they're looking for reasons not to hire you. Very few processes are, are, are described by candidates as it feels like this company really wants me to make it to the next step, or it feels like they really want me to win. Welcome to the Definition of Insanity podcast. For people like you who understand that we can do recruiting and hiring better, we just have to start by changing. I'm James Ellis, and I hope you enjoy the Definition of Insanity. The makeup industry makes billions of dollars every single year, telling us that when you choose that particular brand of lipstick in that particular shade, you are saying something about yourself. And that's, that thing you're saying is not just what you say to the world, it's what you say to yourself. Now, I'm just picking on, me on makeup here, but it's true of shoes and cars and software and social media platforms and video games and any number of consumer choices we make. The things we buy don't just let us tell our identity to the world. The things we buy let us tell our identity to ourselves. Now, if that's true of how a sweatshirt works, imagine how important a job is. Imagine how much a job informs one's identity. You are someone who works at Facebook. You are someone who works at Goldman Sachs. You are someone who works at a nonprofit and saving the whales. You are that thing. Now, I've been a big fan of Jasmine Bina's for a very long time. And if, you're, if you like this conversation, take a moment and go find on the Concept Bureau's website, that's her company, uh, an article called The 14 Rules of Identity. It's an absolutely amazing entry point to the kind of conversation we get to have. So I imagine that, like myself, you will get a great deal out of this conversation. Jasmine is unbelievably smart at this stuff, and she's been thinking about identity as it relates both to consumer products, but also to employer brand for quite some time. It was an amazing conversation, and I imagine you'll get a great deal out of it. Okay. Wow. I thought I had trouble, so that's just diving into the deep end. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack, yeah. Totally. <laughs> it's complicated. Totally. <laughs> to say the least. All right, let's get going. So uh, with me is Jasmine Vina, who I am always, always, always thrilled to just, mostly I'm just thrilled to listen to. I'm a big fan of her podcast. Uh, I love that she only puts it out when she feels like putting it out. It's not like I'm going <laughs> to force myself to say something. It is, I'm going to wait till I got something good. And then it's great stuff. So uh, take a look at Unseen Unknown if, if you haven't already. Jasmine, why don't you do, before I go totally full on fanboy, can you introduce yourself so we have a better sense of where you exist in this crazy, crazy world of ours? Yeah. Um, so I'm the founder of Concept Bureau. We're a brand strategy agency. Uh, we work primarily with companies that are, we say, looking to move the needle of culture. So these are companies that either need to change a belief or a behavior in the market in order to succeed. So it's a bit more high stakes. Um, a lot of our work is very highly research-based. Um, it's a mix between uh, culture study and futurism. And a lot of times that involves the employer side of things too. Yeah. So we've talked a bit in the past, and I know how very aware of employer brand work you are, though I generally kind of, if I have to pigeonhole you, I think of you outside in a pure brand, not an employer brand kind yeah. of world. But to yeah. me, 
you know, that just that sense of we're trying to change the culture or connect it to changes in culture. That is such a different scope than, okay, we need to come up with a tagline and we need to come up with yeah. the, you know, the watermark or whatever it is. Like, this is a different set of, of, of goals here. How does that, yeah. first off, are, I, I don't think I've heard of other companies who think on those terms. Do you think mm. you're the only company or you think you're kind of in that space or, I know that's a loaded question, but you know, <laughs> I, for, for people like me on the outside of this, it looks like absolute alchemy. It looks like you are dealing with mystical forces. What's your, <laughs> what's your, how's your time spent doing this kind of work? Well, I'd like to think we're the only company. I know there are a lot of companies that do great work that we're often inspired by. Um, I don't know that they're always in brand strategy. I haven't seen too much of that, but gosh, our work is, like I said, it's a mix of, um, going super deep in culture and then trying to project the future. And then building brands that kind of live on the future horizon. So we usually build brands on the three to five year horizon. We find that mm. that's a good timeline to create enough tension so that if people see that brand today, they either are totally get it, they're willing to follow it into the future or they totally don't get it and they you know go in the other direction, but they can't stay apathetic. Um, mm. One of the biggest problems almost all of our clients have is that they have good brands, but it's not forcing people or compelling people to react. And so it's not for everybody, but those are the kinds of brands that we work with. And I don't mean like being provocative. I mean, really pushing the zeitgeist of your category forward, um, which is a big investment for a lot of companies, but that's the kind of work that we do. So, I mean, on the day to day, I'm just like an info junkie. I'm always reading and research researching. Um, the biggest thing we do is trying to find patterns and connections. And that's like a lot of second order insight thinking. So we do a lot of internal exercises that are completely uncoupled from any client work around like futurism. You know, predicting the future is a hard skill. And really weird. Some people are not. <laughs> It's, 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 it, you have to deal with a lot of discomfort. You have to have a tremendous amount of imagination. You have, a tr have to have a tremendous amount of like data and input and being able to like tie everything together. So we're just kind of like always working on that. So like my day to day is, is a lot of that stuff. Um, I mean, I'm a CEO, so I also do a lot of like less exciting stuff, but, sure, uh, sure. yeah, that's, that's, that's more of, of what we do. And, um, you know, somebody I was talking to the other day said this to me and he said, when he looks at Concept Bureau, he sees it as like brand as futurism. Yeah, and I, I, I liked hearing that. That was interesting. I think you can get pretty far with like typical brand strategy. But if you if you really are looking to create a category, capture a market, if you're dealing with like a rapidly evolving culture, if you need to pivot, whatever. Yeah, you need to start thinking about like where your audience can be guided and where you can create like defensibility on that horizon. Yeah in a way, all branding is futurism, right? I, I'm going to quote you to you and it won't be the first time because <laughs> I'm that guy. I am that guy. I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, let's see. Investing in a brand is an investment in your company three to five years from now. Yes, absolutely. Every, like you, you build the best brand in the world. It doesn't happen today. It happens down the road and you have to kind of not just skate to where the puck is, but truly understand that you can influence where the puck's going at the yeah. same time. That's a really good way of saying it. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, you know, somebody's going to, I always say, bend the will of the market. You might as well be the one that does that and bend it to your doorstep. Um, it is really about making investments today so that in tomorrow, the market prefers your brand over others. And that's kind of just like, you know, um, creating the conditions for that to happen. That's brand strategy. 
Yeah. And so much of employer brand is, is, is so shackled to recruitment marketing, which is a function of performance marketing, which is about how yes. do we convert today? How do I fill this role today? And employer brand shouldn't be thinking on those terms. It should be thinking about how do I make this top of mind three months down the road, yeah. six months down the road, three years down the road, so that we are the place to work for a certain kind of person. That's so true. And I would say even with employer branding, like your candidates are already probably further ahead than you realize. So even if you just tap into where they are now, it's it, it it's probably already the future tense for the space. So I think uh, employer branding, even like incremental improvements in that regard would have huge impacts. Yeah. So we're going to dive a little deeply into an article. We're going to use this as kind of the hook, right? The, the hook on this idea, because I know, you know where your head is kind of roughly. This article you wrote about identity, and I thought when I saw it, it was like a train just drove straight through me. I was like, where has this – it's like you extracted it, made it really interesting, really engaging, really clear. I was like, of course. Everybody knows that people define their identity such, to such a great extent by their job, where they work, how they work, who they work with. Mm-hmm. And we don't dive into that. That's a fundamental truth of if not this culture, if not every culture, certainly America and North America – saying I work at Facebook means something. Saying I work at Bank of America means something. These, these days saying you work at Twitter means something or whatever X or whatever it's called, yeah. right? It means a lot. It's so coded. And yet we don't talk about at all. What is our identity? Because you know, we, if I'm an employer brand and I run those brands, I don't have the thought of what do I want these people to become? Who do I want these people to become yeah. because they join me? So I hope you're prepared for a deep dive on identity. It's your article. So hopefully you're... you're, you're, you're <laughs> I'm only going to quote you three or four times. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to start with this and I want you to just riff on this idea. And it's real simple. Identity triggers behavior. What Mm -hmm. does that mean? I have some sense of it, but I, I want to hear as far as you can take that thread. So this is a basic psychological principle. You are going to always act consistently with how you perceive yourself. So if you think you're a progressive, if you think you're religiously moral, if you think you're fun-loving, if you think whatever, you're going to behave in ways that reinforce that belief. You're going to act consistently with that. So, you know, if we think of like how, uh, what it takes to change people's behaviors, really you have to change what they believe about themselves. Like Mm -hmm. you can't just change a behavior independent of self-perception. So you know, if you want to change how people work or how they gather or how they vote, first you have to tell them who they actually are or who they can become. Give them a new identity to adopt. And the best brands do this. They give you a new identity to adopt. And then when people are comfortable believing that about themselves and they behave differently. An example I think I used in that article was um, 23andMe. I took my 23andMe. I always thought that I was, you know, I never got into sports. I never like was athletic. But there was some. There was a result on my test that said I have a gene um, that makes it easy to build muscle, and uh, at, mo- most athletes have that same gene. And I that was the beginning of my like athletic journey because when I when I believed that about myself and that became my identity, I just constantly looked for proof to to reinstate it like, or to to believe it. Um, and to that to this day that insight has stuck in my head and that's who I am. And because that's who I am, I behave differently. Um, I believe like it's, you know, I'm naturally predisposed to being like 
you know, fit or athletic. And so I, I prove it out. It's a really strong motivator. And, you know, when it comes to employer brands, I don't know that many brands or people in HR and recruiting really think about when you look at your ideal talent, who do they believe they are? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, okay, if you really want me to take this far, I'll take this far. I think Go. something that we need to <laughs> keep in mind is, you know, work, uh, a few years ago, work really was your identity, right? It was the, it was what you led with. So I work at Google or I'm a marketing executive, but after everything that's happened in these past few years, we've gotten some distance between work and identity. There's a little bit of a gap. It's a healthy gap. And what has kind of emerged in between those two things is the personal brand we're seeing. And so I do a lot of our work is on like elite talent or high achieving talent. We have seen a real trend where a lot of high level, high achieving talent has begun to invest in their personal brands because now instead of saying I work at Google or I'm a marketing executive, the story is more that I am a creative person who works at Google or mm -hmm. I am a futurist who works in marketing. And it's that work is in service of your, of your identity instead of being oh, the wow. entirety of your yeah, identity. The other way around. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know that I see any employer brands that really realize that and ask themselves, like, who are ideal candidate? Who are they trying to become? How can we show them that they can become that? And it goes beyond the role or the responsibilities. Those are important. Um, but I think people are looking for something more when it comes to that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the full extent of it is, you know, and having worked at Roku, we use the hashtag, we are Roku. And that's as, you know, yeah. that, that's, that's as deep as we got into identity. That's, you know, it wasn't about <laughs> we're the kind of person who works at Roku, though I think on some level, Netflix, Goldman Sachs probably can tap into some of those because they work on those elite and the expectations are so high and the whole, hey, we could tap you on the on the shoulder and kick you out tomorrow and it's no big deal. We, we're always leveling up. And yeah. that, it, it's, 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 it's not subconscious. It's, it's under the surface. It's that assumption of only the best people can work at these companies. And if you work at these companies because you think you're one of the best, that is few and far between. I mean, if you think yeah. of the millions of employer brands out there, I can think of two. And that seems crazy yeah. to think that we're not engaging with that. Is that, and now I'm tapping into your research because to me, the separation of not feeling like I'm identifying with my own work seems to be a very Gen Z kind of phenomenon, right? That's coming from the young, from young and I'm old, I'm coming from the younger generations about saying, hey, I'm going to have a, a more clear delineation between work and life. And this is not who I am. Yeah. This is just what I do. Is that the start of it or is it something deeper? Well, I don't think it's just Gen Z. It's definitely millennials, Gen X. Um, I don't, and, and to be clear, it's not that work isn't uh, important. It's still perhaps one of the most, if not the most important things to people. Um, but it's something deeper. So I actually wrote about this this morning. You know, you have to think about how much has changed in the past few years. So when the economy was going like gangbusters uh, a couple of years ago, you had a lot of people who were working at corporate jobs, who saw their friends at startups or who were trading on Robinhood or who were, you know, buying crypto get super rich overnight. And there's a great New York Times article about the YOLO economy talking about how there's this pervading time, belief. Time. Did you just <laughs> drop the phrase YOLO economy? Yeah, I mean, it was going around at the Is time. It? Oh, I feel old. I now. mean, okay, I mean we're, we're past that now, but it was this Thank belief God. that like the economy is changing in ways, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, the economy is changing in ways that punish the cautious 
and reward oh, the wow. reward the crazy. So we were kind of like our belief system around what it means to do good work is kind of changing there. Meanwhile, you know, people's belief of their financial well-being is uncoupling from their belief of the country's financial well-being. If you look at like treasury data. Mm -hmm. um, also, we just don't know like what the impact of AI is going to have on our careers. So there's um, there's reason to take back control over what your identity is instead mm -hmm. of just adopting. And by the way, this whole idea of like your work is who you are. It's a capitalist idea, but it was also really perpetuated by all these, you know, tech companies where like you'd go to the Google campus and your whole life happened there, right? Like they yeah, took over the campus. Yeah. Exactly. Like you drop off your kids, do your dry cleaning, do your banking, eat all of your meals. Like it all happened in the same place. And so we're kind of like waking up from that a little bit. So I don't think it's just a Gen Z thing. I think it's a just a natural, you know, swinging of the pendulum in the opposite direction. Um, people in America take pride in their work. That's a wonderful thing. Um, but we're just developing a little bit of a healthy distance, which gives, by the way, employers an opportunity to be super honest. Like mm -hmm. instead of like talking about culture and your vision 10 years from now and how you're going to change the world, you really should be saying like thinking to yourself, people are having a hard time looking into the future because the future is so uncertain. They're very concerned about the here and now. What do people need right here, right now? And a lot of times it's not vision or culture. It's about like, you know, what kind of leadership do you have? How do I know I won't be held back? How are you innovating on your processes? How do I know that I'm going to be able to trace the impact of my work throughout the company? All complaints, by the way, that we've heard from elite talent everywhere through the years. Um, you know, it's just a more honest, immediate conversation that I think employers get to have. And I think sometimes that gives you a leg up if you're not one of the big companies. Yeah. So you can be agile, you can be more clear, a little more focused. You're not talking about, yeah. you know, VMware, which is, you know, global and has a million branches. And you're like, what exactly does VMware yeah. do? No one really knows. It's that middleware. It's like, oh, I'm sure it's technical, <laughs> but for some reason they have 14,000 salespeople. That is really hard to kind of say, build an identity on this, right? Yeah. What does it mean to be part of this? What does it mean that I'm part of this? Whereas yeah. a, a Tesla or a open AI, to not to drop too many brand names today, yeah. um, which I suspect won't be the last time. It says something. It means something. Good or bad, like it or don't like it, it, it means something. Yeah. Okay. Next quote. I feel like this is a game show, right? True Let's or not it. true? Did you say this? <laughs> right? Jasmine Bina, this is your life. Um, <laughs> what people want is to learn about themselves. And I think that is a driver that employer brand knows but does not tap into. People want to learn about themselves. People want to feel tested. And when you talk yeah. to employer branders or you talk about candidate experience, everything is is a function of we're going to be nice. We're all super friendly. We're all, you know, super rooting for each other. It's like that's a way of being, but that is not the way of there is no the way of being. And frankly, a lot of people want to work for places that are hard to work at or want to work for places that are incredibly challenging or put them in um uncomfortable situations, not unsafe situations, you know, necessarily, but certainly yeah. places where they're going to be pushed to see who they can be. Cause that's really what they want to do is learn about themselves. Yeah. yeah. How do we talk about that? How do we, how, how can we extract some of that thinking to in, insert it into our brands? Well, yeah. So I, you totally hit the nail on the head. I think, um, people, I mean, I've seen this in our in our work with candidates. They really are asking themselves, how am I going to be transformed at this company? How will I evolve? evolve? How will I change? And that's more than just like your skills or your role or climbing up the ladder. I, you know, 
I still haven't seen an example of a company like there are testimonials on jobs landing pages or job sites. There are, you know, videos of like team members talking about like, you know, how they've grown at the company over the years. I don't know that I've ever seen an honest discussion of how somebody has changed at a company, how they've transformed, how they've changed the way that they think, how it's made them, you know, um, more confident or more effective or help them really grow into their own. And you bring up something very interesting. I think you mentioned, you know, people proving themselves. So this is a very persistent story that we see with talent, um, especially with people who are like ascending in their careers. They've had a few early successes. It's this story that you will hear over and over again, where they feel like they are running out of time. And this next job, oh. this next job has to be the job where I can finally prove what I'm capable of. That story comes up so much for like the, oh, wow. the, the best talent. And you want, you know, you want that talent, people who have a lot of potential, but haven't had a chance to prove themselves yet. Mm -hmm. Now that's a huge emotional burden that they're dealing with. Is anybody speaking to that? I don't think no. anybody is. Um, when, you know, if, if you come at it from the point of view of like, this is somebody who really wants to prove themselves. They're at a point in their career where they feel like this next job will make it or break it. You mm -hmm. got to approach it very differently. A company, well, I've, I have two examples here. One example of a company that I think maybe kind of did it inadvertently is Gong. So I, you know, I don't mm. know if Gong has been very active lately on social or anything like that, but I remember a couple of years ago, yeah, they were at that time, they buying, were massive. Yeah. Yeah. And they were buying those billboards and they would put their employees on the billboards, right? Like employee of the year or whatever. But those billboards were interesting. If you looked at like the creative, if you looked at the poses people were in, if you looked at the expressions on their faces, you could see that the billboard was telling you that these people had really transformed here. You could see the confidence, you could see the motivation, you could see the drive. It was a it was a it was an interesting subtle cue. If you're watching or listening to this podcast because you are in TA and you probably think talent acquisition can be better, but to be better, it has to change. Now, I don't mean other people have to change. It means you have to change. Your team has to change. Your entire strategy and approach needs to change. You need some resources to help make that change happen. So take a look at thechangeagent.news. It's a newsletter every Monday that's absolutely free. Changing talent acquisition at your company is a big job. You need all the help, resources, and support you can get. So check out thechangeagent.news. Um, the other example, and it's a slightly different example of a company that I think does get it is Shopify. So they have, I don't know if they're still doing this, but they were doing their life story interviews mm -hmm. where they ask you to tell your life story. And you can see like, when you ask someone about their life story, you're clearly giving them opportunity and looking for them to, you know, reveal to you what drives them, what has shaped them, what is the fire in them that can't be extinguished. Yeah. If I'm a candidate and if I'm one of those people who feels like I'm at this point in my life where if I don't prove myself at this next job, like this next job has to be the one where I can do that. Being in an interview like that really hits the nail on the head. It really signals to you that this is the company that wants me to do that, that can help me prove myself. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I think that's, you know, it's it's a tremendous tactic in, in the hiring process that they have. Um, but yeah, like people 
that's a consistent story that just, I don't, I, I, I think it will be here our entire lifetimes. It's just something that happens to you when you reach a certain point and people are more aware of their finite energy and time in the job market more than ever. Yeah. Um, so it's an opportunity to speak to it. And I, I can imagine, so I'm thinking my dad who was corporate ladder, commodity broker, like he was moving up. There was a, there was a ladder, there was a path. Everybody knew you were on the fast track. You weren't on the fast track. Um, you know, it was like, it's like, you know, measuring puppies. You could tell by the size of their feet, how big these dogs are going to get. You could tell two or three years into these companies, are you fast track material? Or are you just going to grind it out? Or what is the deal? And as we've moved towards a job hopping kind of world, there is no ladder. And there's no, mm. I have a friend of mine who says, I don't care what the title is. So long as I get paid a number I think is valid. I don't care if you call me a, mm. an employer brand specialist, which is kind of the lowest rung of the totem pole in our, in my world, I think. Yeah. It doesn't matter so long as the paycheck comes in and the way it is yeah. because they're not defined by their title. What they're defined by is the opportunity of to do the work. And to them, yeah. if they're getting paid, that means they think the company knows that they're worth that work, that they can do that, they can push those boundaries. Yeah. One other thing I want to touch on is something you said that was super, you just ping, you glanced right by it, but I think is really important. It's the idea that you talk about the gong, you know, this is, you know, uh, employee of the year that there was these subtle signals that said, this is about people who can grow, people who can change. And mm -hmm. I think the phrase there is subtle signals. And yeah. I think so much of employer brand is pick a thing, pick a note, bang on it like it's dead, right? Oh. Until you just, and, and it's just so simple. And there's so many subtle signals we could be sending that we just, we oversimplify. Like if we get into yeah. emotion, it's always about you're happy to work here or you're moved emotionally. It's like, there's like yeah. a million emotions. Why are these the only two notes we ever seem to play? How yeah. do we, do you, so do you, any thoughts on that or am I going off the deep end here? No, I totally agree. I think in, in my experience, there is a, it's usually a symptom of where employer brand sits in a company. But oh no, we're having this fight. <laughs> It can be a symptom of that, but there's a natural aversion. I think something about employer branding feels um, a little more under the microscope because of the legal implications. Um, mm. And you have HR involved, which is yeah. naturally risk averse as well. Um, and uh, I think it's also when you don't really know what your employer brand is about. Yeah. You're going to retreat to those like two emotional signals. I think, I don't know that I've seen many companies do the hard work of truly understanding what the employer brand is about on a deeper level um, besides just like getting recruits through the door. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's why that happens. So you're someone who, as a professional, you are, your career is about getting those to those levels, to those more meaningful, more human, more real emotions. How do you know when you've hit that level? Like if I, I, I now I'm envisioning myself with a, with a, with a minor hat and a pickaxe. I'm like, how do I know when I've hit water how do, or hit gold? <laughs> like, how do you know when you've gotten past the obvious answers and into, okay, this yeah. is an unexplored ripe area that when we tap into it is incredibly powerful. Well, I will say this, you need to understand the emotional triggers that will cause certain behaviors in the candidate life cycle. So you need to know what triggers will make people feel confident, what makes them feel afraid, what makes them feel safe, what makes them feel respected. A meaningful emotional trigger is one that causes an action. So okay. you know yeah. you've hit pay dirt if you can you know, reliably say, 
when we make people feel respected, this happens. Like, you know, uh, we wow. get a certain number of, you know, a certain kind of throughput through the process, or we get um, fewer people who, you know, drop out at this point or whatever it needs to be. Um, the trigger needs to have an actual outcome. Then it's useful, right? And yeah. I, you know, when you look at, you know, we do a lot of like journey mapping through the hiring process. You need to be able to map the journey, know what emotions need to be dialed up and dialed down for the right kinds for what you want to happen behaviorally with your candidates. You know, there are times where like you're going to want to dial down fear, but increase confidence. And, I, you know, talking about this out loud, it makes me think of something else, too, that I think um, I've seen some employer brands kind of um, miss. And it's that when you look at a lot of hiring processes that have so many steps, many of them from the candidate's point of view, they look like they're set up to make you fail. Like they're looking yeah. for reasons not to hire you. Yeah. Very few of them feel like they're set up to make you succeed. Like very few processes described by candidates are, are, are described by candidates as it feels like this company really wants me to make it to the next step, or it feels like they really want me to win. Yeah. Subtle signals come in there, right? Um, there's a multitude of things you can do, but it's all just, it's, it's not even changing so much of your process. It's really paying attention to like, what is your process actually achieving and what you need to tweak within it to make it work. And that's where the emotional triggers I think come into play. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think you're hundred percent right that most companies set up that process for people to fail. It's like, wh at what point will they exhaust themselves or they finally trip themselves up and say the wrong yeah. thing or piss somebody off yeah. or whatever it is like, ah, we can finally pull it out. And I think there's a lot of research that shows that many companies put extra steps in that simply because they haven't figured out what they're trying to find. Mm, so yeah. they're, they're literally extending the, the, the pushing the, the goalpost back just so you can fail. So they can say, ah, it wasn't me. It was the candidate they failed, and yeah. it, it it is it is it is horrible because the company is so desperate to hire these people, but the challenge is to the hiring manager's point that they don't know what they really want. Oh, that's so insightful. That's so true. Yeah, very true. I don't know that hiring managers really get that much training in hiring. I haven't really seen it. Yeah, almost not at all. They have day right. jobs. That's the thing. The expectation is you're a nurse, you're a yes, data scientist, right. go be good at that. And oh yeah, just put this interview hat on and you're suddenly an interviewer and you're going to ask dumb questions and stare at your phone the whole time and wonder why you can't hire anybody. Can I say something to that? One of the Always. biggest things that we've seen is that um, candidates will, uh, once they get a callback or they have their first interview scheduled, will research the hiring manager much sooner and much deeper than they research the company because they know, especially for higher level talent, they know that um, that hiring manager is going to make or break them. Totally. They know that their boss is going to make or break them. If you, I challenge anyone, go look at a hiring manager's LinkedIn. Oh God. Are they updated? You know, really not. And here's why hiring managers are the good ones are very humble people. They don't advertise and market themselves. They give candidates nothing to go on before mm -hmm. they even talk to them. One of the best things our clients ever do is have us create personal brands for their hiring managers. Mm. When the hiring manager has a personal brand that tells the candidate, you know, if a hiring manager is writing about their leadership philosophies or posting about like, you know, experiments that they're trying and efficiency, things like that, hugely strong signals before people even come to the company about, totally. wow, 
this person will not be a gatekeeper. This person will help me succeed. Your first brand is the hiring manager before it's even the employer brand. And I think a lot of companies miss that. Um, but candidates are obsessed with knowing who they hire, especially those people who have had early successes. They're wise enough to know yeah. that that hiring manager is going to really be the one that like sets them up for success or sets them up for failure. And again, the irony is that so many good hiring managers are just humble people who don't talk about this stuff, even though they do incredible t things for their teams. I mean, I've, I've yet to meet a hiring manager that wasn't like, that didn't just like floor me in their leadership skills with the companies that we've worked with. And yeah. yet they don't talk about it. And, and honestly, many companies actually try and gatekeep that information. They almost don't want you to know who you're about to interview with. I couldn't, in one company I was, I was, John, I, I wanted to say in the job posting, I am going to hire you. Here is my LinkedIn profile. I said, no, we can't, we have to get rid of that. I'm like, oh, interesting. Why? Oh. And I, and let's be fair, I'm a loud mouth on LinkedIn. That's actually good marketing if that's what you want. But it, there is so, so much rigor around risk aversion and making sure yeah. nothing leaks out. And it, it's so HR driven to your point that the most val some of the most valuable pieces of the brand, ways of sell giving that signal, you're, you're, you're restricting and you're, you're, you're almost strangling because it's, it, that's what candidates want. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. I want to jump to another topic. And I think it's really interesting going back to your article. And by the way, I'll link the article in show notes. I'm pointing at things. I don't know what I'm pointing <laughs> to. Mythical show notes. It's somewhere. So the quote is, you can't leapfrog fear. Yeah. And I think this is so crucial because even today, I feel like I've been banging this drum for 10 years, that changing jobs is life-changing, right? Just even if I'm moving across the street, it's a new company, yeah. it's a new boss, it's a new set of expectations, it's a new culture, new everything. Even if I'm doing the same job in a really simple, you know, similar company, everything changes. And we don't put a lot of effort into trying to assuage fears or turn off the fear and say, look, the more you know what you're getting into, the less you're going to be fearful of it. We're more like, hey, let's sell it. Let's give the razzmatazz. It's a great place to work. Here's an award. Here's 12,000 12, yeah. awards. They all look the same. But since every company looks the same, how do I know I'm choosing the right company? Yeah. How do you, what are some of the tricks or tools we can use to try and bring down the level of fear so that candidates can make a more confident, more informed choice when they're thinking about, should I apply? Should I engage? Should I accept that offer? Yeah. Well, um, you're totally right about that. And, and here's, here's what we see that I think leads us to the answer. So if you look at most hiring processes or like, you know, the candidate journey through the interview and hiring process, it's like, um, a mild incline upward in terms of like, you know, how they're feeling. Then they get hired and then that like four week or six week onboarding after they're hired, it like jumps sky yeah. high. And then if you're not careful, it starts to taper off again over the next couple of years. Why is this jump after conversion? We always say this is a problem with every brand, employer side or consumer side. Uh, don't hide the experience behind the conversion. You need to surface that before people are hired. Mm. One of the easiest ways to, to do that is to kind of package and productize your culture. A good example of this is Google. Um, you know, what the toxic Google series is fantastic, but if you're a candidate, it tells you, it, it gives you a feeling of what it's like to be in the room. Yeah. It shows you like, you hear the kinds of questions your colleagues will be asking. 
you see how the company values curiosity. You see the kinds of speakers they bring in. You feel like you are, I mean, I've listened to so many of those talks. It feels like you're part of that cohort almost. They've productized their culture and kind of like exported it. Um, and there, there are other ways to do that, but you need to ask yourself, what happens in that onboarding that we could surface earlier? Mm-hmm. That we can show people, um, you know, we do so much, people do, brands do so much during onboarding to create a sense of belonging, a sense of um, shared vision, whatever their values are, whether that's like curiosity or risk-taking or whatever, all of that needs to be front-loaded. And I think content marketing is one of the best ways to do that, but you have to be smart about it. You have to actually show what it's like to be in the room when those things happen, not just like, you know, not your regular content marketing. It's actually revealing what happens before behind closed doors. What's the point of employer brand? Let me help. The point or the purpose of employer brand is to help people choose your company as a place to work over other companies. Now put that way, suddenly employer brand doesn't seem so complicated. It doesn't seem so crazy. And it seems like something your company could take advantage of. And it is. Take a look at employerbrand.ing, employerbrand.ing, or employer branding, and you can find hundreds of resources, either free or dirt cheap, to help you understand what employer brand really is, how it really works, how to measure it, how to value it, how to talk about it, how to sell it to your boss. So check out employerbrand.ing for all sorts of employer brand resources to help you take advantage of your company's employer brand. To me, it's a question of credibility. It's that to most candidates, you know, what's on the career site, first off, if you've ever been through a career site job, job, a career (laughs) site development process and the number of hands in that pie yeah. It's a wonder yeah. anything ever happens. It's a wonder it ever ships. It, it, what, what's the joke? It, does, it, wasn't, it wasn't delivered, it escaped, right? It was just, it was, <laughs> they're horrible and they're full of compromises. And so anything that's interesting gets, you know, whittled away. Anything that's there, you're like, is this spin? I don't know how to yeah. kind of interpret this information. And, you know, you look at relative to a corporate or consumer marketing, the amount of marketing being done in most companies is a tiny fraction. Right. If yeah. they can put out an article every two or three weeks, they're thrilled where and you're like, how, how do you build credibility at one touch point every two or three weeks? Yeah. And so it's not till they get the offer and they go, okay, they, they lifted they, they, the curtains open. I can see what's really happening. Oh, it's just, it's not the wizard of Oz. It's a little guy with a hat. Okay. Got it. I understand <laughs> what this is, but until yeah. that moment when they say yes, they're always at arm's length and always the stranger. Yeah. I, I, you know, how, how does that strike you in terms of, is it a credibility question? Is it amount of content question? Is it a, could we tell better stories and, and, and where, where could those stories exist for us to kind of mine? I think it's definitely about telling better stories, you know, especially back again to those transformation stories about how people personally evolve at companies. That's a huge promise. And again, what a lot of great talent is looking for is an opportunity to prove themselves. If you know that, are you telling stories where people were able to prove themselves or able to expand their own horizons? Um, I think, you know, you never know where you're going to be meeting your candidates. And oftentimes you will meet them in places oh, yeah. other than other than the typical hiring channels. You need to treat all channels like you're talking to your talent base. 
<laughs> Thank you. And so, you know, if you look at it that way, every piece of content needs to double as a signal, a subtle mm -hmm. signal of what it's like to work here. Yeah. Um, you know, like for example, at our company, um, I make force my team to write thought pieces and um you can see like how their thinking evolves over time we show a lot of like our kind of like half-baked ideas and i know um we are always getting inbound inquiries about jobs and people wanting to work here because they see that we put our team members on a pedestal and they see that these people are allowed to kind of explore their ideas independent of their work that we invest in that um, it's a small signal and it's not like I put it out there for recruiting purposes, but it's really speaking to people who are in the job market. Yeah. Look at every piece of content. Every piece of content can do that in some way. If you're, if you're clever about it. Um, I do think, you know, we've already touched on this so much. It does require a bit more risk-taking and vulnerability than I think the people in charge are usually used to, mm -hmm. but even just testing with it and seeing the kinds of different outcomes you have would, you know, would mean a lot, you know, some of the bigger corporates that we do work for, a lot of times people come into the hiring channel because they really admire the CEO and it's not what they've accomplished. It's like what they're posting on LinkedIn or how they handled a situation or a little thing they said in an interview. Yeah. Like all of those things were never meant for talent, but they, that's what brings them in. So, you know, if you're not going to like make the talent channel more like more aligned with how people are thinking you at least have opportunities and on the other side of the brand to do that as well um and i think you know it's a it's a way of looking at it that could that could benefit brands uh, we do it but i yeah. mean it's easier for us because we're a smaller company but exactly. um but i think it's interesting because what you're saying is if, if i can put words in your mouth a little bit you've got on one side tahr super risk averse keep it watered down keep it safe don't make any promises you can't keep we'll get sued to you know into the stone age yeah. Meanwhile, if you try to insert those messages into marketing, marketing reacts like, why are you trying to water down my message? Because they mm. aren't integrated brand thinking. It's not mm. because there's, there's marketing for consumer and there's marketing for employer and never the twain shall meet. And you're stuck because you have to put either out bad marketing or no marketing because depending on who you're talking to, it's a really tough place to be. Yeah, it is tough. I mean, I know you don't like to talk about this, but that's a symptom. I mean, you just said it's a symptom of where employer brand sits in a company. Um, yeah. but that's, and that's why I think like startups sometimes like really get it because they feel the pain of talent shortages so much, so hard, yeah. um, that they're willing to try other things and they really do see like the entire brand as one thing, employer mm -hmm. brand or consumer brand. And it's almost and, a yeah. movement. You're joining this small company because it's a huge yeah. bet you're making on not just ne necessarily that CEO who's 27 years old and has an idea or maybe, or the thousands of people who work there because they don't. It's you believe in this idea of what the company's trying to choose. So you, it, it almost is like joining a cult or joining a movement or jo joining something bigger. And I, I mean that non-pejoratively. Um, and smaller yeah. companies get to do that far better than bigger companies, which get diverse and dis distributed and kind of diluted in their brand. Yeah, totally. It's Seth Godin said this thing that I, I mean, it applies in so many places and I say it all the time. It's just this whole story of people like us do things like this. Yeah. Now you could say that, that if you look at it that way, that works on the consumer side and on the employer side, people like us do things like this. You can send that signal in all of your content. Um, if you're smart about it. And I think that's like an easy heuristic for knowing if you're actually like using a channel to its, to its fullest value. 
Like, mm-hmm. are we communicating that people like us do things like this? Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on a very dangerous word. It's controversial. Sure. I can't wait to hear how you react to this. The <laughs> word authentic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Is it a bunch of bullshit? How do we, how, how are we doing it right? How are we thinking about it wrong? So authenticity is a weird word. I think um, it's a word that has changed meaning. Um, I think, again, it was born of the whole Silicon Valley, like you live your life on our campus idea of like, mm-hmm. you, it's your entire self. It's all sides of yourself. It's every, you bring your whole self to work. Yeah. I can tell you that it bringing your whole self to work the way that we've described it in the past doesn't serve the employee or the employer. It creates problems. That doesn't mean you have to keep be, keep, be secretive or anything. It just means that we've wisened up to the fact that work is not perhaps your family. Work is your work and you can love the people that you work with, but they, you don't owe them everything or all of yourself. That's the slippery slope that I think causes problems on both sides. Yeah. So, you know, authenticity isn't about sharing like every bit of yourself anymore. Authenticity, I think, you know, we really should redefine authenticity. I think it's already happened anyways, as Mm -hmm. being rewarded and validated for who you are, understanding that everybody is different, seeing those differences as strengths, but knowing Mm -hmm. that the truest version of yourself, the sincerest version of yourself that you bring to work is valued and meaningful, you know, finding value and, and meaning in people who are being authentic versions of themselves, not, not that, not rewarding them for like bringing everything or like committing all of their life to the, to the job. I think that's where authenticity kind of got muddied. We started to believe like to be authentic meant to like bring it all in. And that was a little, I broke up with my boyfriend. I broke up my girlfriend. I can't work today. (laughs) Everybody let's have a meeting and I'm going to cry. It's like, no, yeah, you're that you're authentically feeling that I get that. I I, I apologize. That sucks for you. And we got to get stuff done. We got a job. And that's, yeah, that, that to me is like the, the, the painful part of authenticity is like it taken to the full extent is, Hey, everybody, I'm going to the bathroom. I'll be back so shortly. Or it's like that. Do we really do, is that helpful? How does that work? You know, and every culture, every company has like a slightly different culture. So that's going to be like a different line for different people. But I, I don't even think that that's necessarily a problem. It's that it becomes a slippery slope in that, like, the more you give, the more is expected. Like, it's like, you know, um, oh, okay. then it translates into like overwork and be feeling undervalued. That's where it gets a little murky. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I know that it, I've spoken to plenty of HR people. It doesn't serve anybody. It's truly about being seen for who you are, being appreciated and valued and feeling um, meaningful. You know, there's another thing I I wanted to say too here that comes to mind. Um, When we think of overwork or like being burned out, which is another thing that people are very concerned about, being burned out rarely comes from overwork. Overwork is the last straw. Being burned out usually comes from feeling undervalued first, feeling that your concerns don't matter, feeling that you complain about a process, but nothing changes, feeling that your boss is holding you back, Um, especially for high achieving talent. That begins the burnout process because it feels like no matter what you give, you're not getting back what you deserve. And then, yeah, you naturally feel overworked. All these things are kind of related. You have to be careful about, you know, if you want people to feel like they can be authentic. If you want people to feel valued, if you want, it's all the same thing. It's, it's making sure that you understand what the actual needs of your people are 
and speaking to that, like they're more immediate needs instead of abstracting it all into, you know, I've said, I wrote about this morning, instead of abstracting everything into culture, mm -hmm. um, it's really understanding what these people are looking for and how they define their sense of purpose at a company. Yeah, the, the, what's the, the line, the difference between stress and, and passion is stress yeah. you're working really hard for somebody else and passion is you're working really hard for yourself. And, and yeah, go ahead. that's perfectly go ahead. said. That's it. That's it. I, it's right. There. I all my best lines are stolen from other people. I just don't always attribute them. So <laughs> just assume it's somebody else's. I mean, half the state, you're like, that's, that's true. I'm like, I'm just quoting you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds good when you say it. Well, I, 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 I'm here to serve. That's all I could say. So one last question before we kind of wrap things up. This is a last bit from your article. Everyone is a hero in their own story. Now, you didn't write that. I'm quoting you, but we've talked a lot. Everybody knows that. Every, every playwright has learned that. Even the villain thinks they're the hero. Does that mean, though, isn't there, is there a direct connection between that and story brands? And do we have to put every candidate on a hero's journey and they have to go through, uh, you know, out to the wilderness and there's a wise, you know, person who guides them. Like, are, yeah. are we at that level? I mean, I'm a big fan of what Dollar Miller Wright wrote in Story Brand. It's a great book. And if you haven't read it, you should, because there's a lot of really interesting ideas in it. But does that, is that what it means? Do we have to lean into this hero's journey idea to tell our story and to get people to engage? Or is there something else in that, to that idea? So I actually have not read Story Brand. I'm probably the only person who hasn't Oh, I did read Hero on a Mission. You'll get though. kicked out. You'll get kicked out of the club. <laughs> kicked out of the brand club. Um, I did read Hero on a Mission, which was an excellent book by Donald Miller that I've actually bought for many friends. Um, but that's more of like a personal development book. Um, now, if I'm thinking of like the traditional hero's journey, I don't know if it's necessary to put people through those trials and tribulations, like, you know, the ups and downs. Um, but I think I I would just go back to what I said about I do think it's necessary to make people, to actually set people up for success in mm -hmm. the hiring process, instead of making it feel like they're being set up for failure. Like everything is a test that's trying to get them cut from the consideration process. Um, that is another great signal of the kind of company you are and how people can expect to be treated at a company as yeah. well, you know, surfacing that, you know, I'm sure many companies do internally set up their employees for success, but they don't show that during the hiring process. You know, you can front load that. Um, but I, I, that I do think is necessary. You, I don't think you need the ups and downs. I think you need to just increase the incline of that slope where they are significantly through each stage of the process feeling more conf confident, more valued, more respected. Um, you're just going to get better outcomes anyways. And it's a great opportunity for actually branding the company as an employer. So to wrap up, you're, you're sitting in front of a, just a lovely, lovely scene of books. What are some books you would recommend? Cause you're a voracious reader. I know what are some books you would recommend to employer branders, TA leaders, trying to break out of this rut, trying to maybe not do things different, but let's just start with looking at things differently. <sighs> oh gosh. You probably um, have too many books. You have too much to choose from. I don't read branding books. I read uh, no, culture no. Yeah. That's great. Start there. Let's go there. <laughs> but I don't know if I can apply them to employer brands. Okay, there is a book that I'm reading right now. I, I haven't finished it, but it's by David Brooks, and it's called How to Know a Person. That I think is an interesting book. Um, interesting. You know, he, you know, he he does a lot of exploration about like personal development and interpersonal um, relationships. Um, I want to look back at my bookshelf. Go for it. Go for it. You can cheat. That's fine. 
I don't know. Um, huh. I'll tell you the books that have most impacted like how I see people. That would be great. Let's do that. Um, I don't know any, if you're an employer brand person, I do not expect you to at all pick up this book, but let's time out, time time out, time out. employer branders have no kind of like frame of reference. There are, there are four employer brand books and I wrote two of them, I think. Um, so look, everybody that was good at this is stealing information from far afield. So this is exactly okay. where we should be mining. Um, I, um, loved the book, uh, lessons of history by Will Durant. And if you can listen to the audiobook, that's good because he, they interspersed like his interviews in there. He's passed since oh, wow. that book, but he, um, it gives you a friend recommended that book to me when I was very anxious about the state of the world. And he said, read it and it will give you perspective. And you'll realize that the world moves on. We get past our challenges. This is just a repetition of what happened 10 times ago in history. And it really did calm my nerves. And it taught me a lot about like, it just gave me a profound perspective I wouldn't have had otherwise. It gave me understanding of culture, but also like how humans, how humans interact in cultures. Mm. So that was a very informative book for me. Um, I've been on a real fiction kick lately, so I haven't been reading too much nonfiction. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that offline. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not stuff I'm proud of. <laughs> <laughs> we will definitely trade notes. Diversions, diversions. Um, yeah, and then, you know, one of the first books that ever really um, impacted me was Seth Godin's Purple Cow. But honestly, if I went back, I don't know, like, I think a lot of stuff in that book is probably very much in the zeitgeist now. Yeah. Um, that's how impactful that book was. It, like, really, like, created, like, a lot of the um, knowledge base for what strategy is today. Yeah. Um, it's such a but simple I, book, but you have to, I mean, it's hard to read. It's like watching Citizen Kane now. You're like, what? It's just, okay. But at the time, so revelatory, just like, nope, yeah. keep it simple, be different, be so good that someone has to talk about like simple stuff like that at the time was just mind blowing. Yeah. And you know, um, another book that uh, I know you've probably read is Alchemy by Rory Sutherland. Excellent book that really opened my eyes. Yep. Absolutely. It's a great um, book. A book that I absolutely love that feels like it informs my work, but it's it's just going to be so many steps removed for anybody listening to this, is Metaphors We Live By. I've oh, no, read no. that book so many times. Love that You know book. that book. George Lakoff, all, all his stuff is insanely good. Insanely wow. good. Yeah. 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 I've I'm a metaphor book. guy. I, I literally have. I'm, I, I, <laughs> yeah, so book, it, like, it honestly feels like a reference guide. Oh, another great culture book is The Woman. Okay. So this... If you're a woman and you want to understand how culture has shaped what it means to be a woman in all of the convoluted, insane ways, um, you, there's a fantastic, massive book called um, The Woman's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets. And it's a historian that takes every metaphor, um, idiom, ideology, anything about femininity and being a woman and traced it back to its roots historically. Wow. So you understand where it came from and how it mutated and how the culture of the time morphed it to fit its needs and then became what it became. That's what really I love. I love That's that book. That book is amazing. Wow. Have you read Connections by James Burke? 
No, I haven't even heard of that book. Okay, so this is old school. This is like late 70s, early 80s. The idea that this invention begets this invention, begets mm. this change, begets this thing. And he does these 10 like paths. And there's a it's a, there's actually a, a TV show that happened in the 80s that is really, really good, really, really well done, incredibly dated, obviously. But to me, it just it was so good at saying, you don't understand the multitude of factors that go into these, yeah. what you think of as a simple change, like, oh, getting to the moon, it required X, Y, and Z. It's like, oh no, we had to invent film strips first. We had to invent like yeah. all these things to get you to that. Like to me, that's, that, 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 that's was sparked by your, uh, the last book you mentioned. So it's a good one. I love stuff like that. I love stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We, we are out of time and I, as you can guess, I could do another hour of this, but I'm being <laughs> kind to our guest here. So Jasmine, uh, before I say goodbye, where would people find you? Where should they read your stuff or listen mm -hmm. to your podcasts? Yeah. So um, if you want to sign up for our newsletter, we write long form content and we really try to write original thinking about culture, futurism, brand strategy. Um, that's it. You can just go to our website, conceptbureau.com and look at the insights that we have there. Um, I also publish everything on Medium. We have a podcast called Unseen Unknown that really tries to understand the hidden forces of culture and then ask ourselves, what does that mean for business and brand? So we bring in a lot of people from outside of brand and strategy and apply their knowledge to our work. Um, and then we have a YouTube channel. It's just a concept. You're a YouTube channel. Um, we have a couple of series on there. One of them is Toxic Concept Bureau, which is a blatant ripoff at Toxic Google. And then we have, <laughs> and then we have another series um, called Brands and Outliers. So it used to be just an internal exercise that my team did every month, where they pull out all of the brands that are interesting, that are having some sort of cultural impact, and all of the outliers, because the future always begins as an outlier, not as yeah. a trend. So they look at all the anomalies and it's like a quick 30 or 45 minutes where they just run through everything. And we started recording that. It's one of our most popular series. So that's on our YouTube channel as well. Um, and then if you want to hear my daily thoughts, I'm on LinkedIn, Jasmine Bina. Uh, I think that's everything we are. Yeah. So much content across different things, but that's, that's I think crazy. that's, that's all of it. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot. And I will vouch for definitely the newsletter and definitely the podcast. I don't think I've gotten the videos yet, but the, the newsletter is excellent. So yeah, <laughs> awesome. I'll vouch for that. Thank Jasmine. You. Thank you so much for doing this and being here with me and talking crazy stuff about employer brand and giving good book recommendations and all the likes. So I really appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you. You are a fantastic interviewer. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, happy to do it. Happy to do it. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.